So here's another podcast from uh, your friends at Books of the Year. Ben McIntyre's book is Agent Sonia. In another podcast, Ben explains all about the extraordinary life of Colonel Ursula Kaczynski. Actually, just one question before we get to the Q&A, Ben, which I was desperate mm. to ask you, but we're kind of running out of time. As a former US reporter for The Times, what on yeah. earth are you make? Just give us a couple of lines on what you're making of what you're seeing in this run-up to the presidential election. God, I mean, all I am feeling is just an amazing envy. I would love to be reporting this at the moment. It is such an extraordinary story. Um, and it seems to take on more drama every second. And, and it just lurches from the, from the unbelievable to the positively impossible. I think it would be a brave person who, who predicted that Trump will not be able to pull something off out of this. I, I, you know, I think strong man survives dangerous illness may seem ludicrous to us and to many, many Americans. But to quite a lot of them, I think that might go down rather well. I don't think any of us knows how, how, how his, his experience of coronavirus is going to affect what happens. Well, that's that's put a pall over the rest of this podcast. There you go. <laughs> I, listen, I'm not, uh, you know, I, listen, I'm no, I'm no soothsayer. I wouldn't want to make any predictions, but, but you know, oh. we believed the polls last time. I, I, I think it, you know, I'm going. Is there a CNN poll and Bi- I know this is a national poll rather than a state poll, but Biden's like 13 points ahead. Come on, come on, give us some kind of reason to be it's cheerful. A CNN poll, isn't it? I mean, look. Uh, who knows? Who knows? I just have an awful feeling. I just have an awful feeling that, you know, the impossible can st- could still happen. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. the other part of my dismay really is how the Democrats fail to come up with a with a less sort of exciting candidate, really. I mean, I, Joe Biden's a good man, but boy, it doesn't make you you don't thrill to hear him. Anyway, um, to the matter in hand, this is Ben McIntyre going through our uh, Q&A. Ben, what was the last book that you really, really enjoyed, as in reading, not writing? Um, I absolutely loved Andrew Miller's 2018 novel, Now We Shall Be Entirely Free. It's a slightly clunky title, but it's a wonderful book. Um, and I'd never read any Andrew Miller before. Uh, he's, um, you know, he's won lots of prizes over the years and he's been, you know, he's been right. I think his first book was in 1997. So he's, he's very experienced. I think he's done about 10 novels since then. But this was the first I'd read. And it's, it's a wonderful account of, of, of an individual soldier returning from the Peninsula Wars and, and trying to get to Scotland. Um, and I won't give it away, but it's, it becomes a kind of, it becomes a chase. It becomes a really thrilling chase full of jeopardy. And I, I swallowed that in absolutely in one bite. It was completely brilliant. Do, do you have a favourite historian, Ben? Writing at the moment, I think Dominic Sandbrook is completely brilliant. Uh, he, he seems to be able to sort of take vast swathes of history and, and pull out wonderful nuggets, wonderful revealing little bits. And I, I'm I'm a, I'm, I, I like the incidental. I like the small gauge. I like the sort of history from the bottom up. And I think Dominic is absolutely brilliant at that. He, he seems to be able to absorb, I mean, the sorts of volumes of information that most of us would take years to do. And he turns these books out very quickly. So I'm a big fan of him. How long do you give a book, Ben? Do you always finish it? Do you stop at 50 pages or 100 pages, depending on whether it's grabbed you or not? I'm afraid I'm a bit of a magpie like that. I mean, quite frequently books get flung at the wall after about 
10 pages. I'm afraid I, I, my attention span is so short um, that I, I do not always finish a book. Sometimes I go back to a book and, and if I've really loved a book, I occasionally read it um, with only a sort of few months in between. I, I haven't done that for a while now, but but I don't always finish. I can be very, very, and there are so many great books. It's Life is too short to spend reading the, the ones that aren't. I want to ask you about um, autobiographies because my, my sort of rule of thumb with these things is that the more famous the person, the less interesting the book. And I've just been um, judging the um, Sports Book of the Year awards and the mm. three autobiographies we've long listed. None of them are household names, but they're really they're really interesting stories. So, do, do you have a favourite autobiography or even just a favourite biography? Hmm. Let me just think about that. I mean, I read so much biography, it's sort of almost hard to sort of pick out a, a, a favourite, really. Um, autobiography, I've always been a bit distrustful of, to be honest. Uh, I, yeah. I think memory is such a strange thing. And even the most honest memoirists are not really telling you what happened. They're telling you what they remember. And we all do this. We all tell our stories and we tell them so often and we tell them, you know, with with... And the more we tell them, the more the more real they seem to us. And and even when they do depart from reality, we don't even really know we're doing that. So I'm I'm not a huge fan of autobiography, but biographies I I can usually read. Although I find myself sort of stuttering a bit over literary biographies. I'm not I'm never terribly good on those because often I feel I have to have read everything before I get there. But um, yeah, that's sorry. That's a sort of that's that's not a terribly useful answer to your question. So I don't really have a favourite. I'm afraid. Do you have a favourite spy film adaptation that you've watched and thought either this is very accurate or uh, also you're enjoying it or both maybe? Um, I thought Bridge of Spies with Tom Hanks, mm, while it yes. was criticised by some as being a film about a man with a cold. Actually, <laughs> if you remember Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks sort of sniffles and sneezes through the whole damn thing. I thought it caught the kind of Baker-like, slightly grimy, rather dusty world of, I mean, the sort of slightly humdrum aspect of, of espionage, which is true. You know, we, it, is, it could not be further from James Bond, the reality of this stuff. And that, that sort of, both the sort of slightly, um, sort of slightly useless, actually, sort of, um, what was he called? Abel, the, the 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 Russian spy, the Russian sleeper again. Another another of our illegals there. Um, he was sort of a bit hopeless and and sort of slightly amateurish. He wasn't a sort of super master spy with a with a license to kill. He was he was sort of he was sort of grinding away on a kind of day job, you know, doing what he could. And the and the and the sort of the bargaining that went on and the moral equivalence. I thought that was all really really cleverly done. I mean, I obviously I loved. I mean, I absolutely loved the new Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I, I thought that was absolutely wonderful. I thought they again, it was it, it seemed to catch the kind of slightly sort of amateurish nature of that world at that time, the old school tie and the and the boys club and the kind of the way that it was all a bit about kind of who you knew and, and the chaps you were, you were hanging out with. I thought that was really cleverly done as well. A brilliant, brilliant, um, a, a brilliant performance by Colin Firth, too, I thought. Uh, I interviewed uh, Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg for that movie. And Hanks says the first time that he has an exchange with Mark Rylance and Rylance does the line, would it help? Um, which he does. It's just three words. But uh, Hanks said, I knew at that point that I'd lost the movie, that he was the, he was the star. Uh, 
and not him. Anyway, How but it's, it, it's terrific. Now I do enjoy that. Matt, you're going next. Yes, yes. So is there, Ben, a, a hidden gem of a place where you go to do your research or your writing? We've had um, everything from sheds to airlines to trains in the last few weeks. But is there, is there a place well, where you gosh, go to, to do most of your... I used to love writing on aeroplanes. It was marvellous. No one could actually interrupt you you could really get into a lovely long transatlantic flight a lot on place um, I, i'm incredibly lucky i have a I, I have a place up in on the west coast of scotland um deep deep in argyleshire right on the coast there and it's very very rural it's very remote it's very simple and i absolutely love writing there it's a wonderful place to write because particularly you know in the in the summer months it, it almost it doesn't practically doesn't get dark and so i can get up really early and, and beaver away that's my that's my special place. I absolutely love it. Um, and it's it sort of works for me in, in an old way, partly because there's no internet and, and the telephone very seldom works. And we have a kind of, you know, <laughs> there's a long, it's a lot, you don't get disturbed by anyone who doesn't definitely want to get there, um, which I love. I think the, uh, the subtext of this next question is, we all think Ben McIntyre is a spy. But anyway, the question <laughs> is, have you ever been tempted to put coded messages in any of your own books? Yeah. You know, I've got a boring answer to this, which is I haven't really, because if you do that, you're sort of veering into fiction. You'd have to sort of make something up. You'd have to sort of do violence to the to the reality of the of the thing that I'm trying to write. And I've I've always tried to be really rigorous about that. You you, you can't make anything up in these books. If you do people spot it and they rightly readers think you know and if you start to speculate and I think if I were to sort of I don't know put a sort of hidden a hidden message to someone in there and it ever were to get out I think it would sort of slightly undermine what one tries to do with these books which is which is to write books that feel like novels but are nonetheless every word in them is verifiable and true so I haven't done that I did do something quite naughty during lockdown which was um, one of the ways that publishers have got around the problem of, of writers not being able to do signed copies is that they send out things called tip-in sheets, which are the sort of tip, the, the, the first page of the book. Um, and then they bind that. So you, you write your name on that and then and then they bind that into the into the book when it's made. So it, it, it is effectively a signed copy, but it's never actually been a copy before it's signed, if you see what I mean. These are just loose sheets. And I did, I mean, I did a lot of them. I did hundreds and hundreds of these things. I got so bored by the end of it, I started inserting little messages um, to people who might receive them <laughs> along the lines of, I'm incredibly bored in lockdown. Um, you've got to be here. You know, good luck. You know, fuck if I have to write another of these, I'm going to go mad. You know, <laughs> and I did, I did boxes and boxes and boxes on them. So it's not exactly a coded message, but it was definitely a message they weren't expecting. I'm sure I'll get some complaints too. So there's no point in us going through Agent Sonia trying to find secret messages from you to us. No point at all. No, alas, not. Although, yes, no, I fear, I fear there aren't any. There's no, there's no hidden. There is no hidden message in there. The, the message is, is is pretty straightforward. Whether she left any hidden messages, she certainly left her radio transmitter behind. I mean, one of the things I'd love to do one day, if I'm spared long enough, is get a metal detector and go to Great Rollwright and go round the back garden there and the woods nearby because she left pretty clear indications of where she had buried her transmitter when she escaped. So somewhere under there is, is Sonia's radio. I'd love to find it. Well, I think I, I thought just... that as soon as I read that, 
I thought I, I'm getting down there with a metal detector. Yeah. That sounds like an awful. Ben's answer that I don't put any coded messages in my books is exactly the kind of answer you'd give if you you'd put coded that, messages you? in your books. In your books, yeah. you're absolutely <laughs> right to admit that. But that could be a quadruple bluff, couldn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, it's definitely a game everyone, you know, it's always fun to play. You know, who, who at your workplace is actually a KGB officer. And at Radio 2, it was quite obviously Jerry Vine. <laughs> you know, it was so manifestly uh, a secret agent. No, come on, boys. You have to give me a break here. Look, if I was a spy, would I really be writing about spies all the time? I mean, no, no, no. Oh, oh, okay, no, good point. That's a double bluff, isn't it? <laughs> Another damn. double bluff. Yeah. Anyway, oh, final... Damn, you're good. You're good. Final, final question. Uh, is there a book that always cheers you up? Yes. I mean, I, I probably first read Scoop by Evelyn War when I was about 14, and I have probably read it once a year ever since. It still makes me snort. I absolutely love it. And as a kind of insight and a kind of a total, you know, t Mickey take on, on what journalism is at its most extreme, it's completely delightful. It, and it never, it, weirdly, it never ages. Unlike other uh, of, of Evelyn War's books, it, 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 uh, it never fails to make me feel better. Uh, ben McIntyre, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Do you know what you're working on next? I do. Yeah. No, I'm um, I'm I'm already at work on the next one, which is going to be a book about Colditz. I mean, Colditz is a subject that we right. all think we know, but actually, yes. the reality of Colditz. You know, we all watch those, or those of us yes. that are old enough, watch those black and white TV series, you know, about men with elaborate facial hair building gliders in the attics of Colditz and be all being frightfully good and stiff upper lip and winning the war. Well, of course, there was a lot of that, but there was a lot of other stuff too. And there's a lot of fascinating new material on Colditz. So, and no one's ever done a kind of narrative, non-fiction history of Colditz. And it's the, rea the truth behind the myth of Colditz is, is absolutely fascinating, I think. And so I'm having great fun with that at the moment. Bernard Hepton, I think, was the commandant, and Anthony Valentine was the SS officer. I think that's Very right. Very good, good memory. Right. Absolutely right. Yep, that's exactly uh, right. Um, they, they stand the test of time, actually. They're still very watchable, those, those TV episodes. They're extraordinary, I think. But wasn't they are David, a long way from reality. Wasn't David McCallum in that as the kind of token yes, American? Absolutely. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. So it's, he, was, it, it, he was a man, it, man from Uncle and also in Colditz. Amazing. <laughs> Extraordinary. <laughs> um, so, that's, so that's great fun. So I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm just voyaging away into that at the moment. So. Right, we'll look forward to that. Uh, ben, thank you so much for your time. Lovely to talk to you.